So we are literally starting the first week of our worship month with a series that we're calling Heart Posture. But today is Resurrection Sunday. Now, when you look on television, when you look on Instagram, Facebook, social media, people today are celebrating pastel colors, eggs, chocolate, and a roast at the house that'll probably be dry. You, 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 like, like we're, we will begin to move our hearts in a way to begin reverencing things that didn't die for us. And when it comes to God and your relationship with him, look at your neighbor say, he only wants your heart. He only wants your heart. Because if he can get your heart, he gets you. Yes. Did you hear what I just said? What did I say? I said, if God can get your heart, that means that he gets access to who you actually are. Another person would say this. God doesn't bless who you pretend to be. He blesses who you actually are. But who you are and who God wants you to be is closely connected to your heart. So we're going to jump right in. Is that okay? We're going to get to the resurrection. We're going to get to the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. But I hope that we can have an understanding so that we can not just reverence the day, but we can reverence the man. Because resurrection is not a celebration. Resurrection is, is not a holiday. Resurrection is not a day. The word of God says that Jesus said himself that I am the resurrection. So what I want to make sure you don't do is leave out of here celebrating what happened on the cross and not celebrate the man that did it. The cross is a piece of wood that was used as the platform, but you don't see people walking around wearing electric chairs dipped in gold around their necklace. You, you don't see people like, like having bullets dipped in gold. Well, sometimes you do, and that's a little bit different. But the reason why we love the cross is a little bit, it's, it's, it's frustrating because the cross was the platform. But the person who actually did the deed, his name is Jesus Christ. And that's who we're going to talk about today. Is that all right? So look at your neighbor say heart posture. So here we go. This is going to be the anchor scripture for this entire time that we're in this series. I don't know if it's going to be four weeks, three weeks, six weeks. I'm not sure. But one thing that I know is that if we as an organization, as a church, do not understand worship as a thing of spirit and truth, then what we just experience is all for naught. People think that worship is what you just did for the past 30 minutes. A lot of you in this room, and I was even in this place, you think that worship is your favorite worship song. So as soon as you have a really bad day, you turn on oceans. That's not worship. It's a song. Because goosebumps are not the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Tears are not the manifestation that you have a relationship with God. Your bended knee and how ugly you cry does not correlate how close you are to God. And if we're not playing church, some of the people that are doing that are really great fakers. Glory, he's been good. But who sits on the throne of your heart? You praise God for a baby, then get the baby, and then worship the baby. You praise God for the car, and you're, you're real close to God when you ain't got it. Your heart broken. That posture is right up and down. God, we need a vehicle. But then once you receive what you were sacrificing for, and now you take what God was doing on your heart, you replace it with what he gave you the blessing to get. So the cross around your neck, sir, the cross around your neck, ma'am, on the walls, Jesus' broken body is a misnomer because it was something that was a means to an end. The end is him rising up with all power, but also restoring power back to his people to send them back where? To earth. 
So the point of today has nothing to do with heaven. It says in the word of God that there's one song being played in heaven right now. Hot 100. It's been playing. It's been number one for centuries, for millennia. You know what that song says? It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So if you don't understand the process of worshiping here, heaven is going to be chaos. Because once you get to heaven, guess what all you're going to do? Worship. That's it. But it's really interesting that the one place where we should be comfortable lifting up our hands and worshiping and having the right heart posture, sometimes the thing that sits on the throne of our heart is not the king of glory, but embarrassment. Okay, can we talk about it? Or the spirit of, it doesn't take all that. Or the spirit of, I really like my shoes and my dress. But the coolest thing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that it was three days and it was an event that actually happened in front of hundreds of thousands of people. Do you think that Jesus was embarrassed to give his life for you? We're going to build on this foundation that your heart posture is the most important thing. Can we do it? This is our anchor scripture. I want you to open up your Bibles. Let's take some notes today, right? Like, don't just wait for the, uh, the rebroadcast. If you're watching it right now, God bless you. Don't wait for, for the notes or the, for the gram. Like, let's take some notes today. Can we do that? Can we be a good class and participate? Here we go. Anchor scripture. Let's go to Proverbs 4 and 23. Let's go to the New Living Translation. It says what? Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the what? Course of your life. So guarding my heart is more important than prayer? Yes, because you can't pray anything that's outside of your heart. So guarding my heart is more important than my romantic relationship with my wife? Yes, because I can't love her if my heart is jacked up. So my heart posture is more important than my personal health? Yes, because if your heart isn't healthy, it pumps blood to all your extremities, and the parts of your body will start to fall off if your heart isn't healthy. Look at your neighbor and say, your heart needs to be healthy. In the NIV, it says, above all else, guard, guard your heart For everything that you do flows from it. When we look at this verse, it's really interesting. How many of you guys know David? We love David. We love how he fought fought Goliath and, and he won the battle. But this is a plea that David is giving to his son that's about to take over the kingdom. David, who we love all of his songs. Do you remember that song? Awesome. But David had a wandering eye. David was, a, David was an adulterer. David was one of those people that when you look at his word, you question, once you really read the word, like, why did God use David? So David, with his last breath, is pleading with his son, listen, of anything and everything that you do, I pray that you would guard your heart. Because everything that you do is going to come from how your heart is going. It's almost as if David lying on his bed, even though he was close to God's heart, David's heart was a little bit jacked up. The one that we love, the one that we call like the Prince of Praise, the one that wrote all of these different songs is begging his son not to be a good king, not to be a good father, not to be a good husband, not to be a good leader, but to guard his heart. Because the most important thing that we will ever be able to give God is our heart. Are you ready? Jesus paid the price for a seat that can only be occupied by invitation. The reason why David had the ability to talk to his son about why his heart posture was so important is because your heart is a throne. Can you say that? Say, my heart is a throne. When you gave your heart to Christ, and if some of you are going to give your heart to Christ, it which is absolutely amazing, but I want to explain to you what happens when you do that. Your heart is a throne, and God is a king. And the, per- the perfect place to worship a king is where? On the 
throne. One of the reasons why it can be really difficult for us to enter into worship is because the King Jesus actually isn't sitting in the right place. Sunday, God's on the throne. Monday, Timmy's basketball practice at 7 o'clock is on the throne. Tuesday, those J's that you missed out on now that you're using your first fruit money and your t- Oh, I shouldn't do that, right? Now, 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 now Jordan Brand is on the throne. Wednesday, that Starbucks that you promised your wife that y'all were going to cut back, this is the year that we save. Now, Starbucks, that Moco Choco Toco is on the throne. Thursday, Susie's swimming classes are on the throne. Friday, that group of friends that you like to hang out with just to prove that you have a nicer house than them, but you really don't mess with them, they're on the throne. Saturday, sports are on the throne. And then Sunday, you dust off the seat and hit it with a little bit of Purell. And then you want God to sit in this place that was only designed for him, but we have to say invite. We have to invite him into a place place that he has paid for. So here we go. Let's talk about worship. Because in the church, I think that a lot of us think that we know what we're doing when we're talking about worship, but we really don't understand what it is. And it's impossible to celebrate Jesus as the resurrected king if we don't understand the point of worship. So can you raise your right hand? Okay, now let's promise and swear before God. God, I promise. Hold on, wait a minute. We're in class. Somebody's not saying it back there. I can feel you in my spirit. Raise it up. There we go. Okay. Say, God, I promise to get an understanding of why I can't afford not to express my love for you. The dictionary says of worship that it's the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. I really don't like that definition, so can I give you the one that we're going to be working with for the next couple of weeks? This is what worship is, and I want to make sure that you write this down so that we all have a foundation of where we're going. Amen? Worship is our love expressed to God in response to his love towards us. Worship is what? It's my love expressed to God because he expressed his love towards me first. So that takes out all of this thing of feeling it. There's never going to be a right time to worship God. Even in the times where you feel like you're ready to worship God, you can be doing it in vain and God cannot receive it. But worship is the most important thing that we could ever give God because write this down. Worship is the only gift that you can give God. When you you bring your tithes and your offering. Meaning that it's all his and you give him a portion, which is what? 10%. When you serve unto your church, when you serve unto your family, like you're, you're doing a service unto God. But when you give your worship, it's the only thing that you can give God that has no strings attached to it. When you pray, you're trying to get something from him or trying to get closer to him. When you bend your knees in, 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 in prayer to him, you're, you're trying to make a connection Worship is the systematic process that God created so that we can give him glory. So when we don't worship God and when we don't understand our worship with God, our relationship in this kingdom lifestyle is incomplete. So you can be in church for 30, 50, 45 years and have a sense of worship, but have an immature relationship with Christ. You want to know how I know? Because... If you were, I'm in a relationship, right? I'm married. I mean, it's like, it's like the most amazing thing in the world. We got married 11 months ago. How often do you think I need to physically, verbally, and and psychologically tell my wife that I love her? But But I did it before. 
We have a relationship where she knows I love her. I don't have to show. It doesn't take all that. Like, why would I have to do that? She knows I love her. I married her, didn't I? And we will begin to pimp out God's grace and his rewards, thinking that the one time you gave your life to Christ, that that was worship. No, that's not worship. That's not worship. Following and honoring your parents is not worship. Worship is, say with me, the only thing. No, like for real, preach it with me. Worship is the only thing. It's the only thing that you can give God. But sometimes we drop it on the floor and just flick off the stray hairs and all of like the nails. And then we offer God something that we wouldn't even want to consume ourselves. So then the question becomes, why are my prayers being answered? Why is my first fruit not working? The question is, you're following the principle, but you're not following the process of worship. So we're going to break this thing down. Is that okay if I teach you this morning? Naturally, I'm a teacher, but preaching, y'all like, y'all pull it out of me. So let's talk about heart posture. Yes, ma'am. Heart posture, we talk about this all the time. We, we, we've been breaking down this word of, of heart posture and like what it means, but let's define it so that we have an understanding, a context. Heart posture is the initial position of your heart when it comes to things of God. The minute that God requests something of you, how do you feel? The minute that you don't hear from God, what is your response? The minute God blesses you with something that you've been asking for, where is your heart turned? Is it towards the thing or towards the blesser? Because if we were able to take your heart out of your chest and look at its direction, it would be a compass leading to the thing that you love the most. You can hide behind this dirt clay body, but your heart is a compass that directly connects you to the thing that you would sacrifice your life for. I'm going to get there in a minute. So this is the interesting thing. Today we celebrate the tomb being empty, right? Glory to God. We'll celebrate a tomb. But for some of us, the seat on our heart, the throne that's on your heart is also empty. Jesus didn't die to leave a tomb empty. Jesus died so that he can actually sit in the seat that remains in your chest. So let's go to point number one. You ready? Point number one, worship begins with love. Somebody say it with me. Say worship, worship. begins with love. Now, this is John 3, 16, and everybody knows it by heart, but I'm hoping that I can show you something that you've probably not seen before. Is that okay? Here we go. It says, for here is the way God loved what? The world, not your sin. God looks at sin as such a thing that's so undesirable that you never hear God talk about why he sent his son to die for sin. He'll never say, I sent my son to die for sin. Because the reason, once Jesus died, sin was taken care of. But we'll use our lifestyle to disqualify us from worship, but Jesus never did. Remember, he used David, a man that took a man's wife, sent that man to war, then had a baby with that woman, and then was still able to write the book of Psalms. So sin and salvation are not important. you got to take care of it, but it's not that big of a deal. I'm going to prove it to you. For here is the way God loved the world. Say it with me. He gave his only unique son as a gift. When you give a gift, if you're doing it correctly with the right heart posture, you should never be looking for anything in return. Not even a thank you. You ever given something to somebody and like they, it's almost as if they just wanted to hold something over your head? They give you a gift that you couldn't buy for yourself, not because they wanted to bless you, but they're trying to hold something over your head. Knowing that it's going to reproduce pride on the inside of them, but look what I gave them. 
God didn't give his son looking for anything back except for your worship. Because think about it. You can't pay back the price of what God gave. So the only thing that you can do is pay rent every single day through your worship. So now everyone who believes in him will what? Never perish, but experience what? Everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. So now there is no longer any condemnation for those who what? Believe in him. But underline this part. But the unbeliever already lives under condemnation because they do not believe. What if I told you today that based off of your worship, God and the people around you can tell if you believe in God? Well, I don't cry during worship. It's not about the crying. It's about can we tell based off of your posture if you have relationship. You can tell how much, pe- how much money some people have based off of what they purchase, correct? You can tell how much somebody loves their people as much as when they do things in public, right? Not true. Because we see a lot of things that are facades in public, and then you hear about what happened in private, and then we cancel them because we think that everybody's perfect. God forbid this person fell into pornography. God forbid this person cheated on their husband or their wife. God forbid this person was money laundering. But the word of God says that it didn't come to condemn. It came to provide a pathway for us to worship the king. So can we, we got to talk about a couple of truths before I get into the rest of this, just so that we're all on the same page. Is that okay? So I want you to write these down. Number one, today is to celebrate in reverence what was done on the cross, not the cross itself. I know that I'm, I'm stepping on your religion and your doctrine, but in order for you to live a sustained life on the earth, you shouldn't be worshiping a piece of wood. Oh, the cross. The cross didn't do anything except for stand in the place to, for, our, for our Lord and Savior to be crucified. Can somebody say yes? Secondly, is that God is a king who needs a throne. God is a God is a king, and if a king doesn't have a crown or a throne, we can't call him a king because the only place where he literally receives adoration and worship is when he's sitting in the place that he calls holy. Point number three is that Jesus is his perfect son who was sent to die to create a relationship with us back with him. The next thing is the purpose of the cross was to play a role, not to be reverenced. The freedom that was created on that day was for everyone. So when we start to talk about all of our different denominations and all of our different faiths, we have to understand something. God did not die for a denomination. God didn't die to call us Christians. Isn't it interesting that the word Christian is not even in the Bible one time? Jesus never said, I would hope that you would have life more abundantly and become Christians. Jesus never said, I'd hope that you would create symbols and create denominations and try to beat people down with the word that I gave to make them free. So what that means is, is that the minute that Jesus died, there should have been no reason for a church because the minute he died, the church was built on the inside of us. That's the point. The reason why some of our other brothers and sisters get it wrong is because they believe that a man or a woman has to stand in front of you for you to get to God. But when Jesus died, it says that the veil was torn, and now the place where you were unholy to be in, now God has called you into. So today is all about relationship. How can you call yourself a friend of God if you don't know how to communicate with him? This is the last thing. Write this down. God's sacrifice for man 
requires a response, which means that you cannot call worship worship if you do not express it. What did I say? You can't call worship worship if you don't express it. Praise is appreciation, but worship is reverence for God. So let's go to point number two. Now, before we get to the story, right? So today is the day that we're supposed to understand that, that, that he was risen, right? But there is a story of what happened to Jesus on his way to Calvary. You remember he has this prayer with God, and he says, God, if there's any other way. You know how some of you prayed that prayer? God, if you get me out of this one. The next 10,000 years, I'll be crucified then, but I need some time to think about it. But every time that God came to ask Jesus what he was doing, or whenever Jesus came to God and he said, God, is there any other way? A lot of people may get the misunderstanding that Jesus was in fear. It's not that Jesus was in fear. It's not that Jesus was confused. I think that Jesus was asking God, God, I need my heart to be correct. My posture has to be correct because I'm about to die for some people that are about to spit in my face. I'm about to put my life on the line for some people that are about to stab me, beat me up, and rip my beard out of my face. So I need to make sure that my heart posture is correct before I walk in here. How many of you have ever walked into an environment where you knew that the people didn't like you? You knew it. You knew it. It's called Thanksgiving. It's called Christmas. It's called your office. And you know what environment that you're walking into, but you allow your heart to be jacked up when you walk in to give you a justified reason to snap on people. And it's always the little stuff. Hey, babe, what happened at work today? This woman walked in the office and had the nerve to say hi. Hi, I don't kiki with you like that. It's just like, no, no, no. If your heart posture was correct, anything on the outside of your vessel wouldn't be able to turn your heart so quickly. And the church is failing right now, not because of God, because God has never hurt anybody ever. The church has never hurt anybody ever. But people with jacked up hearts are jacking people up and turning them away from the face of God. So, when you leave the organization, you're leaving a building. But you're also telling the organism, which is God, that I do not want to give you my public display of affection in a room of people that didn't die for me. Isn't it interesting that the only person that died for your, that died for your sins, your entire life, that gave you power, we can feel embarrassed in a room of people that if all of us died, it wouldn't even be enough to take care of everything else. But people are leaving churches in droves because the, the, the sound doesn't sound right. They didn't play my song. That song is too fast. That song is too slow. But it's really interesting because if your worship to God is being measured by how you feel, then you've never done it correctly in the first place. Because sometimes your worship looks ugly. Sometimes your worship looks broken. Sometimes your worship looks like tears and frustration. Sometimes your worship looks like anger towards something that you don't understand. So Jesus, I'm so excited. I feel the chill this morning. Jesus is tempted in the garden, and he's like, Satan, get behind me. Judas kisses him on the cheek. Because even though Judas kissed him on the cheek, we say it was betrayal, but it was also worship because it still brought glory to God because his plan still went through. Another conversation for another day. Which means that when people betray you, God still gets the glory if your heart posture is correct. Okay, okay, I can't say that. We got more weeks to go. 
they dragged Jesus into the council of the Romans. Have you seen the movies? How many of you guys have seen The Passion of the Christ? One year our pastors paid for the whole church to go. I will never see that movie again. I mean, me and my friend Caleb were sitting next to each other, snotting, just, he didn't do anything. Let him, let him go. Right? We won't put you through that. But it was something that changed our heart posture and jolted it, right? Because sometimes the thing has to be gruesome, gross, and bloody for you to even change your mind. It even happens in the world. If enough people die, we'll change some policies. So Jesus has been betrayed. Jesus has been betrayed. Somebody say betrayed. betrayed. And they drag him into this courtroom, this council, where the man that has the highest power, his name is what? Pilate. Pilate sits on a throne because Pilate is the governing power for any acts that come against the throne. What they do not understand is that they have brought in the man, the one man that has single-handedly destroyed their entire kingdom into the room. And they think that he's a bad man just because he turned some fish and some loaves into food. Let's go to verse uh, Luke 23, 1 through 12. It says, Then the entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the roving governor. Somebody say governor. They began to state their case. Underline this. This is what the people that he's about to die for are saying about him. They say, this man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming he is the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked him. Pilate asks who? Jesus. Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. We talk about Jesus as if he was lowly and meek when he died, but Jesus was a G. You know those parts in movies like when they're about to get shot up and they're like, do what you got to do, man. All the smoke I wanted. You know what I'm talking about? Like Scarface type of joint. Jesus is in the face of the most powerful council ever known to man in their dominance. The Roman Empire was literally over the world for almost 400 years. The reason why there are roads in Europe is because of one empire. And Jesus says, you said I'm the king. That is what it is. And you calling me a king doesn't make me more of a king because I was the king before the manifestation of the earth. Pilate turned to the leading priests and to the crowd and he said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Which means that Pilate knew that he was the son of God. So all of the different movies that you watch, all the different scenes that you watch where Pilate is like, un like frustrated and pompous, Pilate was advocating for Jesus because he was saying, y'all, we don't want no smoke with this man. You said he walked on water? I can't find nothing wrong with him. Then they became insistent. You know what that insistent thing means? It means that we don't have a reason to kill him, but we want to kill somebody to make ourselves feel better. Then they became insistent, but he is causing riots by his teaching. Wherever he goes, all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. So then what happens is, is that Pilate can't find anything wrong with Jesus because there was never anything wrong. They had it messed up. You're trying to kill a man and trying to stomp on him and snuff him out. But Jesus is like, all you're doing is according to the plan that I already agreed to before I got here. So like, let's just hurry it up. Like, kill me already. You think you can kill me, but I'm laying my life down. So Pilate takes Jesus. And what does he do? He takes him to Herod. Herod is a man who is the same person like Pilate, but over the, the, the Galileans. And he finds the same thing. Somebody say, there's nothing wrong with him. So then we understand something. The reason why Jesus was a threat wasn't because he was doing miracles. 
The reason why Jesus was a threat was because he single-handedly discontinued the Roman Empire's advancement by himself. Think about it. The Roman Empire at this point in time, do you know how like, they started to take over all the different places? They would go to a place. They would change their language. They would change what they eat. They would change what they wear. They would change their customs. They would tell them who to worship. And then after that, they would say, pay your taxes unto Caesar, correct? But then you got a guy named Jesus that was preaching this anti-doctrine. Jesus was coming, and he was saying, repent. Turn away from the worldly system, proclaim me as the king, and being self-sustaining. Because there's every single, every single process that man has ever created usually starts out trying to help people but ends up trying to control them. That's how it starts. We're the Roman Empire. We want to bring you food and gold. Then it ends up being that your king is beheaded and now you have no choice but to serve a rulership that really doesn't care about you. They just want to cover as much land as possible. So Jesus by himself, say in three years, in three years, has totally disrupted an entire empire's governance. The Roman Empire was so important because of the, 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 the territory that they covered. Now, how many of you guys have ever traveled overseas? You ever traveled overseas? You ever had your passport? How many of you guys have, like, stamps in your passport? You know what happens when you cross from one country to the next country? What do they do? They check that thing, and they give you a stamp. The Roman Empire literally occupied more than 78% of Southern Europe, Western Asia, Northern Africa, and all of the Mediterranean. And one man in three years broke it all apart. So to the people, they had to lie and say, because of his miracles, we have to kill them. But the Roman Empire knew we, had to we have to kill him because he's doing twice as much work that we're doing with millions of people, and he's only got 12. So now it becomes this thing where they're trying to crucify Jesus to cover up the tracks of understanding that we don't want no smoke with this man. So let's go to point number two. The price that was paid for us to worship was expensive. What did I say? The price that was paid for us to worship was expensive. Jesus wasn't crucified because of the threat of his message. Jesus was crucified because of the effectiveness of his message. We read all these books and we, we watch all these movies where they're like, well, you want to make sure that Jesus doesn't get into this place where the people start following him. No, they were already they were already following him. Do you remember the story of the 5,000, how he fed them with two, two fish and five loaves? Remember, in the book, it says that there were 5,000 men. 5,000 what? Men. And in the Hebrew faith, once you were a man, you took a wife. So if you got 5,000 men, and they all got married, and they all at least had 2.5 kids, that's not 5,000 people. That's 20,000 people. The Roman government realized this man can do more with less. We got to kill him. He's walking into areas where there are lepers because our soothsayers and our medicinal doctors can't do anything. And he's laying hands on people and their arms are growing back. He's walking into places where people are ready to die and he's bringing them back to life. He's walking into other areas, looking at dry bones and giving them flesh and blood. So we got to destroy this picture of Jesus on the cross because he was a king on a throne. He was on the cross for a second, but he remains on the throne because when he got on the cross, he didn't take his crown off. But we put the crown of thorns over his head, but his crown never, never left. Look at your neighbor say it never left. never left. Point number three. It is impossible to take what has not been given. You cannot steal something if it was never given to you. 
I'm going to prove it to you. Here we go. Luke 23. You ready? Luke 23, 13. It says, then Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders along with the people. And he announced his verdict. Underline this. He says, you brought this man to me. Another form of him saying, I don't want no ties to this. You brought him. I didn't say he was a bad man. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him what? Innocent. Herod, the man that I told you that Pilate sent him to to get a second opinion, because sometimes what God tells you doesn't need another opinion. He sends him to Herod. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. So I will have him flogged and then I will release him. Verse 18. Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, what? Kill him, and release Barabbas to us, which basically means that sometimes we will choose the, the worst of two evils. Have you ever thought about that, that, that thought, pick your poison? Why? Like, why do I have to pick between poison and po Like, why can't I can't drink the water? But for some of us, when it comes to our worship, we choose death. Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd with one, I'm sorry, and with one voice they shouted, kill him and release Barabbas to us. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in the insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. So what they're saying is release the man that actually deserves to die and let's kill this guy that we don't have an understanding of. Because in the church, we will kill things that we don't understand and not take the time to really get an understanding. I'm not going to get my tithes and offering. Why? Well, they just want my money. You don't understand. For the third time. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Let, let's, let's go back. Uh, verse 20. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus. Remember, Pilate's heart posture is that this man is not wrong. So why are we killing him? But they kept shouting, crucify him. What? Crucify him. For the third time, he demanded, why? I think Pilate was trying to figure out, this man's going to die, and this is going to be a heaven. So I'm trying to make sure that in front of him, he sees I tried. I, I, I really tried. But how many of you guys know that trying doesn't get you into heaven? God, I tried to worship you. What do you mean? You tried? I tried to live a healthy life, God. The word of God says that he's going to say, depart from me. For the third time, he demanded, what? Why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death, so I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their, voice, their voices prevailed. So Pilate did what? He sentences Jesus to die as they demanded. And they had requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. Now, there's a part in this story that's really interesting. Do you know how they say that Pilate washed his hands? Do you remember that? Where they say that after he releases Jesus, he washes his hands? This concept of washing hands means to be departed from whatever happens afterwards. When you wash your hands of something, how many of y'all got an auntie that just loves to argue for the sake of arguing? Seems like she got like another set of lungs and she just gets louder and louder as it goes. Or he gets louder and louder as it goes. Pilate realized something. I can't settle with these people, so I'm going to wash my hands of it and walk away. Hopefully to save himself. 
They couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus because there was nothing wrong with him because he was the first fruit seed. They're trying to find, because we got to find a reason to kill this man because it's harder to accept that he wanted to die for them. Isn't that interesting? Thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people all over the nations, all over the world today are in churches still believing that Jesus doesn't want to save them. It's easier to believe that somebody wants to put you in jail than it is to believe that a man gave his life for you to live free. Why is that? Why is that? Look at your neighbor and say, why is that? that? Write this down. An invisible idea can be more threatening than an actual attack. Jesus didn't walk into places and burn things down. He didn't walk into places and take people's lives. But how many of you guys know that an idea is the most powerful thing on earth? What you think. The word of God even goes so far to say that as a man thinks in his Wait a minute, we're coming back to we're coming back to that word heart posture. Whatever you think in your heart, that is who you are. So here we go. Can, can I get to my favorite part of the sermon today? Point number four. The crucifixion was God's heart on display. The crucifixion was God's heart on display. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. No, for God so loved the world that he put his heart on a stick for you. We practice this thing called giving tithes and giving offering. We practice this thing called giving first fruit. But Jesus was the first fruit offering that was given for us. Which means that he had to die. He had to be buried in order to bring fruit to people like you and me. But there was an interesting thing about the crucifixion because the way that they crucified in the Roman times, I'm going to explain to you why what you've seen on television and what you've read may not be correct. Listen to this. Luke 23, 32 through 43. We're going to the New Living Testament. It says two others. How many? Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with who? Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. Who? Jesus. They nailed Jesus to the what? To the cross. And the criminals were also crucified. One on his and the other on his. Jesus says what? Father, forgive who? Them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Verse 35. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. Do you think that God would have, that Jesus would have been able to go through three days of brutalization had the posture of his heart, heart been off? Did Jesus, do you think, ever second guess what you even did last night when he was on the cross? Did he have a second guess knowing that I was going to have some addiction, knowing that you were going to have um, uh, anxiety and depression, knowing that we were going to sin? It never changed the posture of his heart because he was perfect, because he set his heart on course before he got to the cross. Some of us make up our mind if we're going to worship God when we get to the parking lot. Some of us make up our mind if we're going to worship based off of if we know the song list. Some of us make up our mind if we're going to worship God based on the last thing that he did for us. But Jesus made up in his heart that he was going to give his life before he even came to earth. Which means that Jesus was not walking around earth for 33 years just wondering when it was going to happen. He knew. He, he knew. 
He knew, and he still pressed towards the mark. The crowd watched, and the leader scoffed. They say, if you're, the God, if you're God's Messiah, free yourself. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. Then they called out to him, and they said what? If you are the king of the Jews, do what? Save yourself. A sign was fastened above him and with these words. This is the king of the Jews. What they thought was a mockery was a line in the sand. Sometimes the thing that people do to you thinking that it's a joke actually just seals the deal with God. What they think is going to make you a laughing stock actually just gets you your crown in heaven. What they think is going to put you down and out the divorce, the guy leaving you, losing out on your money, not giving the job is actually a setup for God to get the glory based off of not how you get the job, but how do you worship me after you get the call? God's really not interested in you making more money. God's really interested in when you get the extra $10,000 in bread, are you going to worship it or are you going to worship me? When you get married, is Cancun more important than falling on your knees and me making you attractive, Joshua, for your wife to even find you attractive? I don't need no music. Y'all going to get all of this. You make the decision to worship God once. If you have to re-keep coming back to, do I have it in me to worship God? The question is, did you ever really give him everything that you had? Are y'all having fun this morning? Jesus didn't have to re-up on his decision every year. Jesus didn't have to have a worship sermon and series to make a decision that he was going to follow what God said. Jesus didn't have to figure out how to play a song in C-sharp and a B-knuckle seven and hit licks and have a guitarist and six different people to sing to make his decision if he wanted to. He made the decision once. But we're so jacked up as a people that we have to find reasons to worship God. We should never have to do it from this point. Think about the last thing that God did for you. No, it doesn't matter. I'm alive. And I don't worship him for what he's done. I worship him, period. Okay. All right. All right. Jesus' death was the first offering accepted without manipulation. What did I say? It was the first offering to God that was accepted without manipulation. Up until this point, and this, this really ridiculous thing, Pastor Martin talked about it, about the, the Old Testament being irrelevant and the New Testament being the word of God. You don't get to look at the dictionary and cut out words just because you don't like it. Worship was all throughout the Bible, and we're going to talk about it. But Jesus' death was the first worship exp- example where they didn't have to have a sacrifice before. They didn't have to, like, like, you know, wash their bodies for days. They didn't have to, like, not be in uh, rooms with women. They didn't have to, like, try to, like, do all these rituals to be holy because Jesus Christ was the only person that could pay the price of us being able to worship God. Up until this point, you were not worshiping God unless he made up in his mind that he wanted to receive your offering. You want to know how we know? Because what we would do is we would make an altar, we would set up a fire, and then with that fire, what would happen? What comes from fire? Smoke. Smoke goes what? Vertically. Once it goes up, God makes the decision if he wants to receive it. If he didn't receive it, the smoke would stay around them. But if he wanted it, this is why we say, maybe a sweet sound. 
to your ears. It's actually a sweet smell into your nostrils. Because if he wanted to receive your offering, you had to be righteous. And he would do this thing, like, breathing with me. Ready? One, two, three. He would receive it. But the reason why Jesus didn't have to think about receiving Jesus is because he was perfect. I don't have to think about receiving Jesus because he doesn't have to think about what I've told him. His heart posture is right, and he just does what I say. Some of the reasons why people are more blessed than some of us are isn't because God loves them better. It's just because every time he asks them to do something, their, their heart's already in a position to say yes. Think about it. How many of you are parents? You will bless a child more for saying yes more than saying no. That child that you have to struggle with to get them to cut the, get the, cut the grass, to get them to take care of the dog that they begged for. You got some dog money? I got to beg you to take care of something that you did all the right things before to get the dog, but now that you got the dog, you want to stop using the sacrifice to take care of the dog. It's the same thing with our worship. We think that when we give God our tithe, I'm sorry, when we give God our worship the first time, that that's enough. But God deserves just like our romantic relationships to be told over and over and over and over and over and over. And this is the craziest thing about it is that God sees it that whenever you put somebody else on the throne of your heart, he sees it as if you have been laying in bed with another person. So then when you come back to him, now you're not just asking God to worship. I'm sorry. Now you're not just trying to worship God. First, you have to reconcile. Repent and say, I was wrong. But Jesus didn't have to do that because his heart was in the right place at the right time. Point number five, write this down. This is it. Somebody say, there was purpose behind the positioning. There was a purpose in how the cross was set up. There was a reason why the cross in the middle was the largest and the one that was the furthest step back. I'm going to show you why. Let's go to Luke 23. Luke 23, 39 through 43. One of the criminals hanging beside him, beside who? Beside Jesus, scoffed. Everybody go, <laughs> that's scoffing. You know what I'm talking about? That's the stuff that gets you popped in your mouth if you got a mom like mine. You know what I'm <laughs> What'd I say? <laughs> Pop. Oh, I'm sorry. He scoffed and he said, so you're the Messiah, are you? While he's hanging from a cross... There are some people that don't mean you no harm. They're just ignorant to even where they are. You know what I'm saying? It's not that they're malicious. They're hanging from a cross and don't know how to get down. Which means that when somebody comes to you and they step to you incorrect, it's another opportunity to worship God. Because if your heart posture was correct, you'd see the pain on the inside of them and not what's coming out of their mouth. Y'all don't like that, do you? We'll look for any reason to cut anybody off right now, especially with this whole election cycle, especially with what's happening with COVID and the pandemic. But the thing is that if your heart posture was correct, everything outside of your vessel wouldn't matter because you would just love people. I still blow their toes on that one. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal, remember, both of these men are guilty. Both of them are guilty. Both of them deserve to be up on these crosses. Both of them talk to Jesus, but one of them, their heart posture is a little bit different. We both know that we're going to die. 
But I'm not about to mock the man. That's my last chance at getting this right. Well, what if it doesn't work? What if Christianity is all a flop? At least I was moral. I had integrity. I had values. I didn't talk about people behind their back. You're willing to give up heaven to go to hell for that? Yeah. I'm willing, I'm willing to, for it all to be a fluke. But I know it's not. Why not? Because I know, I know him. Like, I'm not a Christian. I have relationship with dude. Like, you, like, he answers when I call. I don't know about y'all, but when I talk to God, he knows I want smoke in the spiritual realm. I don't pray like this. God is great. God is good. This is how I pray. Hey, look, dog. So I'm about to walk into this office. There are a couple of things I need you to do because that first fruit I gave in 2007 is still talking. And the first fruit that I gave in 2012 hasn't started to give fruit. So this is what I'm going to need you to do for me. Because I am a son of the most high God, I'm going to need you to show yourself mighty and strong before I walk in here. So before I walk into the office, I, I'll even fall on my knees inside of the office because they can't create a world to put me in a prison. They can't. Because when Jesus died, he gave me freedom. You can tell when somebody really knows God because they walk in freedom. Your, your, your walk is different when you're free. That's why when you read this story, you never hear about anybody dragging Jesus anywhere. To the cross, he was high-stepping. Let's get this over with. Like any other person, they had to give an account of dragging them to the cross because they didn't want to go. And Jesus, even with broken arms and broken limbs, crawled on the cross and said, can we get this over with? I'm doing this for you anyway. Just hurry up and kill me so that you can have a chance to be with my father. Somebody say there was purpose behind the positioning. Verse 40, glory to God. Somebody's going to give their life to Christ today for the last time. I believe it in my soul. But the other criminal protested. He said, wait a minute, Pimpin, hold up. Don't you fear God? Which means that even though he deserved death, he still loved the master. Which means that no matter how far your heart is turned away from God, no matter how many idols you have on your heart, there is still time to put God back in his rightful place. The man is sitting on the cross with Jesus behind him. And he's talking to this guy like, you idiot. You don't realize that he's still God regardless if you believe or not. But Christians, we get so frustrated when we meet people that say they don't believe in God. As if them not believing takes power away from him. Look at your neighbor. Say, my God is a king. Regardless of what I think. God, you thinking that God is king doesn't make his crown any more shiny. It's like my crown was shiny before the manifestation of the earth. Whatever little breath that you're taking, I gave it to you anyway. So don't think that you putting me up on this cross is by your power. I'm allowing you. He says, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. I'm about to burst into tears. Bump what everybody else is doing. Hollywood didn't have enough extras to put them in the movie. It says that Jesus, when he was crucified, there were hundreds of thousands of people. He says, 
bump all of them. God, if you don't do nothing else before you die, if you could just rem- if you could just remember me, that's all, that's all, that's all, that's all, that's all. I don't need you to forgive me of my sin. I don't need you to try to get me off of this cross because I deserve it. So many people in this room, when they're worshiping, they're worshiping from this place. I deserve it, but God, you remembered me. You remembered me. You remembered me. When I prayed that prayer, God, if you get me out of this one, God actually answered mine. I'm going to be honest. He's sitting there crucified. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into Wait a minute. I thought the crucifixion was about a cross. It had nothing to do with three days. It had nothing to do with the tomb. It had everything to do with God rebuilding his throne so that he could rule from heaven. No music. They got to hear this. Never mind. Keep playing out of honor. You see what that was? My heart posture was right. You see what I'm saying? Badoons. And Jesus replied, I or sure you today, you will be with me in paradise. So here's my question. Is your heart in the place to love God? Now let's talk about why the crucifixion. Because it wasn't just this, they didn't just crucify Jesus and it became popular. Crucifixion was popular before Jesus was here. The only one that you remember is his death. Because it was that iconic. So look at your neighbor and say, why crucifixion? Crucifixion to the Romans was the ultimate punishment for a person's crime. They were being used as a spectacle to warn and discourage any other person from following in the same footsteps. But what they didn't know was that when they put him up on a cross, they didn't, it wasn't discouraging. They put him up on display. They gave him the highest point in Rome on the most beautiful mountain in the morning of day. You couldn't miss him. Even if you weren't at the crucifixion, you couldn't miss him because he was the highest point in all the land. Which means that when we talk about every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, it's not a question of choice or opinion. It means that at the end of the day, God is king. And regardless of what you think, I'm king. The other thing is that we have to talk about who got crucified. Say, who got crucified? There were two different types of people that got crucified. I've done my research. Trust me, like, please, trust me. I've done my research. There were two different types of cruci- people that got crucified. You did not get crucified unless the Roman, the Roman Empire didn't have another way of showing the people not to do it. They were making an example of things because they didn't have a policy. The Roman, imp- the Roman Empire never wrote a policy for if one man comes and destroys everything, they didn't think it was possible. So when Jesus came on the scene, they had to crucify him to prove to the other people that you can't be as powerful as he is. But remember what the message was that Jesus was teaching to other people. Remember? Greater works will you do. So we celebrate the crucifixion, but do you know that when you're a good husband that God celebrates that? These greater works, we think it's like leading an entire auditorium to Christ. We think that it's landing a plane after it's been like clipped. No. Do you know that when you're faithful to your family, it's the same offering and worship that Jesus did on the cross? When you're kind in areas to a boss that hates you, all you're doing is you're planting a seed of worship. Regardless of what's going on around me, God, I'm going to do what I have to do to be right with you. Bump this boss. He can't do nothing for me anyway. You own the cattle on a thousand hills anyway. And like my existence is just a blip in time. So why would I give more honor and worship a nine to five when you are the nine to forever? 
Why would I worship my sleep on Sunday evening so I could be rested for work on Monday, but I don't worship the sleep on Saturday so that I can worship you Sunday morning? The only reason why you got the job is because of the environment of AWC. So why wouldn't you return to give God the glory that he gave you? Was the house really that important? Was the marriage really, she was that fine that you forgot about the man that made you attractive to her? Really? Your salvation is worth $10,000? That's crazy. Really? But what we do doesn't take away the price of what God paid. So there's two different people. Is this good? Two different people that get crucified. You have your high-stake criminals. Then you have your enemies of the state. Your high-stake criminals are murderers, people that evaded taxes, people that escaped slaves or did insurrection. Insurrection basically means that you walked in a place and said, Caesar's trash. They're like, we got to cut his head off. Like, we can't send him to slavery because if everybody thinks that he's trash, then everybody's going to overthrow us. Because Rome took over the world and with, for a couple of reasons. The people that they took over, if they would have all came together in unity, the Roman Empire could have been stopped in a day. Because the principalities of earth are not as strong as the people that they're over. That's why he says we fight against principalities. We don't fight against flesh and blood because if I can get you to believe that you're less than based on the color of your skin or your reproductive organs or where you're from, I don't have to do much because you'll begin to think less of yourself. But when God called himself a king, when he died, guess what else he did? He put a crown on your head. When Jesus died, he gave you the opportunity to call yourself king and queen and priest. High state criminals and somebody say enemies of the state. Enemies of the state were those that were being brought before the Roman court because of treason. You know what treason is? Treason is what's happening right now in England. Do you know? Somebody say, do you know? That England is a, it's, it's a kingdom. Like Brit, Britain is a kingdom. Do you know? That if you say anything about the queen that is less than perfect, that by right, they can have their way with you. To this day. Did you know that? At this time in the Roman Empire, you didn't say anything about the person that was the most powerful because if you did, it proved to them that they were not as important as they thought they were. So every time you fall on your knees and you decide to worship God over the money, you prove to money that you can't rule me. Every time that you make the decision to close the computer screen and worship God, you're proving that my sexual habits are not powerful enough to control me. Every time you make the decision not to snap on somebody and worship God, you're proving that that was a person I used to be. But my emotions don't run me. You gave me emotions to express towards you my love for you, not to beat other people up. Enemies of the state also tried to illegitimize the established power. So how did they crucify how? Somebody say how. We know why they crucified. It was the ultimate punishment. We know who got crucified, those that did like really petty things and those that they were trying to make an example of. But how? Lesser crimes were tied. So the men that were on either side of Jesus, they didn't have nails in their hands. They were tied. The Roman Empire knew how wealthy they were based off of their resources. If you're trying to expand your kingdom in all directions as fast as possible, what's the most expensive thing that you have? Your materials. 
wood, metal, steel, things that are used to build. So if you were unimportant, they crucified you to a cross, but they tied you up because they were basically saying you're not even worth the energy that it would take to try to kill you before you get on the cross. But they used these on Jesus. The nails that they used could have been used to build roads, boats, spears, swords, and ships. But what they said was, in order for us to get this point across, it's worth us using our most valuable resources to put this man on the cross. That means that when they nailed Jesus to the cross, they knew that they had to do it in such a big way that it would try to turn people away from him. But the pun is, is that when they nailed him to the cross, the opposite of what they planned happened. As they nailed him to the cross, as they nailed him to the cross, all they did was give him his crown, and they kept fitting it tighter and tighter around his head. So let's talk about the positioning. The reason why Jesus was in the middle was because the largest cross was in the middle. Because you wanted everybody to know this person here, this is a person that we're trying to make, uh, we're, we're trying to make uh, an example of. But remember the two guys that were here. They were here, right? One guy on this side says what? He says, you fool. Like, just release yourself. Like, what are you doing? But one of them looked at him and he said, dog, do you even know who this man is? Think about it. I'm crucified to a cross. What's the next thing that he said? God, if you do anything, remember me. The interesting thing about heart posture was that where he was, the positioning was inconvenient for him to talk to Jesus. It was uncomfortable for him to talk to Jesus because he's crucified to a cross. And we've all learned with manners, whoever you're talking to, what do you do? You turn and you look at them. So this is why the positioning and the crucifixion was so important. Because the man that was here, the most important thing that he did wasn't asking God to remember him. The most important thing that he did was he, he sacrificed his well-being to get his heart into a position where he could direct it straight to Jesus. Do you know how frustrating that is to be in a place and think that you can't go anywhere and you're trying to figure out a way to get your worship to Christ? The guy that was on the cross realized something. I'm a terrible person. I've been murdering people, but if I can position my heart correctly to the man that's about to give his life for me, then if I open up my mouth and say something to him, my heart posture can save my life. That's why for some people, their serve is the thing that has saved their life. Smoking, drinking, doing everything in the world, and then they, can, and then they make it to their serve. We understand something at AWC. We build leaders on purpose. We understand that for some of us, even me included, the one thing that kept me close to the cross the one thing that kept me close to salvation wasn't because I was a good person. It was because I was willing to get myself into a position to lay it all out before God, giving him everything that I had in worship. And I think that when that happens, God says, I know that he's dirty, but his heart is pointed towards me. 
God's not so worried about your hands being pointed towards him or your words, because people are really great with their words. I could, this was supposed to be a sermon series for the worship team, but the thing is that the worship team is just standing in a place that they shouldn't have to. It shouldn't take anybody at 10 a.m. say, give God a shout of praise. You should enter into his courts with thanks. So a man who was in the most inconvenient place ever, about to lose his life, turned his body to show God, hey, I'm here for you. And all we have to do is worship him. That's it. That's all, that's, that's all you owe God is worship. And the worst part is that for some of us, it takes us being on our deathbed to realize that we had time to give God what was already his. So the resurrection is really great with the crosses and it's really awesome with the illustrations. But you have an opportunity to do what that man did every day. Husbands, how you talk to your wife is worship unto God. The way you get the mail is worship unto God. The way you ask for forgiveness when you're wrong. How long does it take you to, to respond to somebody when you were wrong? Do you make the decision to apologize when you feel better and after they've learned their lesson? Point number six, this is it. We have fun today? Point number six. The reward for worship was relationship, not an empty tomb. <laughs> Somebody asked me a couple days ago, like, would you like to go and see where Jesus was crucified? Like, no, because he's in my heart. Like, he's right here. Don't you want to go and see the tomb? No. Why would, I don't want to go see the tomb. Like, he's sitting on the throne of my heart. You want to meet Jesus? I can open up my, I mean, not literally. I can open, you know. Jesus was the first fruit that was planted to reap a harvest that is you. The reason why Jesus gave his son was because he was putting forth the first fruit principle to reap a harvest. And the harvest wasn't his son back at his right side. The harvest for God's first fruit was your heart. That's why in this worship month, we're going to be doing heart surgery for the next couple of months. I mean, the next couple of weeks. I would love to do worship month for a couple of months. I love that. But because the, you cannot love somebody with things that you don't have. Jesus divided, uh, divided he, I'm sorry, he, Jesus decided to pay the price, not just for your sin, but to get access to your heart. He gave up his seat in heaven to live inside of us. Think about that. Jesus was perfect. Somebody say perfect which means that he was inside of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And once Jesus left the Trinity, he made a decision that he would never be able to return back to that place in the same way. But think about it this way. Jesus gave up his seat in heaven, even though he went back to the right hand of God the Father, he gave up the ability to sit in that space to sit in your heart. But some of us, we haven't made that decision if we want God to sit in that place permanently. Some of us, we've made multiple thrones so that we can think that we're worshiping one, but we just get to turn and worship whatever we want. But listen to this. Paul writes in Romans 10, 9 through 10. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? 
saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. It's interesting that in that last part, it's not just about believing in your heart. But when you openly, somebody say openly. When you openly express to God through the moving of your arms and your hands and your being, through opening up your mouth, through how you move your body in worship, it proves to God that you are giving him a receipt for the price that he paid. The receipt of what Jesus did on the cross is our worship. When we don't worship him, it says in the word, it's as if we have done all of this over again. So there are some people that are watching right now. And that throne on your heart is empty. Or there's something or someone there that should be the king. Resurrection is not so much about the cross, but it's all about that empty space that's on your heart. 